Basically, kind of asking these three questions. Who am I? Uh, why am I here? What's my purpose? And, and what am I worth? And so that's where we are. That's what we've been talking about. And, and what we've talked about every week is that not only are we talking about these, this, this idea of who God calls us to be, but that we have an enemy, a spiritual enemy. And the Bible calls him lots of different names. Satan, uh, the liar, uh, a murderer. In John 10.10 10 it says the thief came to steal, kill, and destroy, which means he's after the things of God in your life. He wants to stop the work of God in your life. And so and he uses all these different weapons. We talked about, you know, a couple weeks ago, we talked about being mugged by the mirror and how sometimes when we look in the mirror, we step on a scale that that kind of determines whether or not we have value and worth. And, and that's a lie that the enemy uses to try to distort uh, our God-given identity. And then, and then two weeks or the week, a week ago, two weeks ago, we talked about being pickpocketed by the past and how what the enemy loves to do is kind of throw up our, our past in our face and say, hey, this is who you, not just who you were, but this is who you are, that God couldn't love you, God doesn't care about you, God could never forgive you, and that's what he does. And then last week we talked about this idea of being stolen by success and how basically the enemy will use something that's even good in our lives to try to pull us off center, to pull us away from God's purposes for us. And, and today we're going to talk about a real killer. It's this thing called rejection. Now, by show of hands, how many of you have ever stood in front of a vending machine like for five minutes trying to get your dollar to work? You know what I'm talking about? Oh my gosh. You're like, you know, trying to find a corner. You're trying to work out the edges. You're trying to look at George Washington. Smile, dang it. You know, as you, sh- sh- you shift him in and, and then all of a sudden you're, you know, comes back out. You're like, ah, oh, I, I just want a stupid bag of M&Ms, you know, that, that type of thing. And it's just frustrating when you're doing that, this idea of rejection. Well, there's lots of ways that we get rejected, and, and I, I don't know if you've ever been to a game, been to a couple games where uh, all of a sudden at halftime or during a timeout, a guy comes out and, and the girl's out there and he drops down on one knee and, and asks her to be, you know, his, his wife, and she's like, <sighs> and she hugs him and the crowd goes crazy. It's just, it's usually an awesome, awesome moment. It usually works that way, but it doesn't always work that way, all right? So check out this clip. That's rough right there. Let's pray for that brother right now. I mean, he puts himself out there in front of thousands of people, and then you see her kind of looking at him like, I'm not shocked, but I'm shocked. And to watch her walk away and to, and to, to see him just walk that lonely, lonely walk of shame out. Of course, he didn't walk alone. He had the you know, they had Houston Rockets mascot right there beside him. You know, our, uh, and I don't know if you caught the end, but the guy said, that guy will get over it in like 10 to 12 years. I don't know. You know but it, rejection's hard. And you know what? Some of us have been through a lot of rejection. Maybe we can look back on and laugh about, but there are plenty of things that, that aren't funny at all. Um, you know, maybe for you, you know, you were picked last on the playground. And you remember they're just waiting. They would pick this person and this person. You're going, gosh, just don't let me be last. And eventually they got to you and you were the last one. Or maybe you played this game of Red Rover, Red Rover, we call whatever over. And like no one would call you over. They didn't want you to come over. You know, it's just a bad feeling. Or maybe you played in a band and you sat second chair and you were excited about it. And eventually you came in the next day and they said, no, it's going to be third chair today. Or maybe you were a starter on a team and... And, and you loved what you were doing. You finally got to that place and then only find out that, you know what, you're not starting tonight, you're coming off the bench. Or maybe you tried out for something. Three days of tryouts and you're working hard and, 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 and you go back the following day and you look on the wall on that list, that piece of paper that has all the names of people who made the team and you have this, I want to cry, but I'm not going to cry moment because your name's not on the list. You didn't make the team. Or maybe you had this sneaky suspicion that, you know what, your, one of your parents favored 
your siblings, your brother or sister over you, and you felt rejected by that, or or maybe uh, you've 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 been in places where you've been burned by social media. You had friends, and all of a sudden they're blasting you on social media, or they're unfollowing you, or whatever that is, and it's just a weird feeling. Or maybe you've experienced getting dumped, or left out, or demoted, or laid off, or even fired. The sting of rejection. Maybe this whole rejection thing goes a lot deeper with you because because you know you've been carrying this for maybe 20 years. For some of you. You've just been carrying this. You don't even realize it anymore. It's just who you are. Or maybe uh, it's as fresh as this week um, because a spouse walked out on you. The truth is the feeling of not being wanted is tough. It's awful. And the sting of rejection is difficult. And our identity gets wrapped up in that and it begins to distort the very person that God created us to be. And the enemy works in that to drag us away from that person that God designed us for because of what they did or what they didn't do or because of what they said or what they didn't say. I've had several moments in my life where I've experienced rejection, multiple times. I've had places where I've had people that I thought loved me and were in on this and we're going to chase God's heart for this or whatever and leave. I mean, there's lots of crazy things. But I remember one in particular. I'll just share one for the sake of time today. It's in fifth grade. Um, my parents had begun arguing from fourth grade on. It was a pretty nasty divorce. But they argued. It was very violent. It was abusive. Cops called to our house. And, and for me... As a fifth grade boy, it was tough to kind of focus in school. I was always worried about, you know, what might happen because I'd gotten off the bus before. My dad had been home. He wasn't supposed to be home, and, and there were things that happened. So it caused a lot, of, a lot of anxiety in me and a lot of, you know, a lot of self-directed focus in other ways. And my grades weren't good. There were times where I got in fights, and I had this teacher named Miss Duffy. And I just wasn't focused. I was struggling. I, I wasn't a horrible kid. I just was having a hard time. And I'd done something. Finally, I got her frustrated. And she said, Scott Hatfield, if you graduate from high school, you're going to end up in prison. That's what a fifth grade teacher told me, Miss Duffy. It's crazy to tell any fifth grade student that. And what's crazy about that is, is that was almost 30 years ago. And I still remember it like it was yesterday. Rejection. Christian author and leader Francis Chan wrote in his book, Crazy Love, he wrote this piece about rejection. He said, the concept of being wanted by a father was foreign to me. I felt unwanted by my dad. My mother died giving birth to me so that maybe he saw me as the cause of her death. I'm not, I'm not sure. I never carried on meaningful conversations with my dad. In fact, the only affection I remember came when I was nine years old. He put his arm around me for like 30 seconds while we were on our way to my stepmother's funeral. Besides that, the only physical touch I experienced were the beatings I received when I disobeyed or bothered him. My goal in our relationship was not to annoy my father. I would walk around the house trying not to upset him. He died when I was 12. I cried but almost felt relief. And the impact of that relationship affected me for years. And I think a lot of those emotions transferred to my relationship with God. For example, I tried not to annoy God with my sin or upset him with my little problems. I had no aspirations of being wanted by God. I was just happy not being hated or hurt by him. Take a look at that last line. I was just happy not being hated or hurt by him. It's amazing how rejection pours its way into every single relationship that we have. And whether that was a father or a mother or a teacher or a coach or a friend or a co-worker or a child or a spouse, it leaves you in a bad place. It robs you of God's identity for you. And what happens is, is when rejection kind of 
moves into our, our way, what we do is we put on masks. I don't know if you realize this, but we kind of put on these different masks to kind of shield us and disguise us and even hide us from maybe who we were because we thought that who we were wasn't enough. And so we have to kind of dress up what we are, act something different because we're just, we feel like we're not enough in and of ourselves. And I want to give you some masks today that we, we put on because of rejection, this idea that, you know what, I'm going to protect myself. I'm going to pretend, I'm going to act like somebody else. I'm going to disguise myself. The first mask is this. we put on the party mask. You know, when we experience rejection by something or someone, what we do is we run down the road looking for the next party or the next fix or the next drink to temporarily numb our, our hurt. That's where we run, a lot of us. We, 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 we mask the pain with drugs and alcohol, even, even shallow sexual experiences. We'll run to, uh, I, I've run into way too many people that, that run right into bed and bed after bed trying to look for someone that will value them, accept them for who they are. They kind of equate sex as acceptance. Please love me, which means have sex with me. And if you have sex with me, that means I'm valued. Even though that, that, that moves toward this idea of this really long road of shame that never makes anything better. In fact, it's like an athlete who takes cortisone shots to just keep playing. And the reality is, you know, they can play for a little while, but the reality is, you know this, anesthetizing the pain only leads to greater damage of your joints and bones and muscles because of what you're going through. But we put on the party mask. A mask that's similar to that mask is the, is the clown nose mask, all right? And maybe you kind of know what I mean. We put this mask on pretending that everything's a big joke. We seek to gain acceptance from others by being the class clown, the one who never takes anything seriously, the one who always gets the big laugh, does the craziest things, they're the life of the party. Even at times it means that we'll even make fun of ourselves in order to get a laugh to keep the attention off of ourselves, off of our pain and our hurt. Behind that mask and behind all that, that laughter is an aching heart. We're always trying to be funny. We can't be serious. Can't ever talk about anything of substance because we're afraid to go there because if we do, we know that the pain is too great. Another mask that we put on is the superhero mask. We wear this mask because we've been hurt before. We've experienced some sort of rejection and we think, you know what? I'm never going to not be good at something again. And so we chase performance just like what we talked about last week. We chase, we chase success and we, we chase uh, perfection. I'm going to be a superhero. I'm going to be invincible to rejection because my goal is to please everybody and to put it in everybody else's face. You know, even though this is not really who I am, I'm going to make sure everybody knows that I'm, I'm important. Another mask that we put on is a goalie's mask. I don't know if you're a hockey any, any, uh, We're in Kansas City. Any hockey fans here? Maverick fans? All right. I've been to one Maverick game. They were up like four to nothing and like they lost like at the very last second, like five to four. It was just, I was like, ah. Oh. But, but if you've ever been to a hockey game, you know this. The goalie, man, he has got, he's got all kinds of stuff on. He's got, you know, all kinds of padding. He's got a mask on his face. And the reason is, is because hockey pucks travel at over 100 miles an hour. You don't want to get hit. A lot of guys don't have their teeth anyway, but they like to keep their face, you know. And so what happens is they put this mask on, they put all this stuff, and they get in the box. And they wait. They wait for it to come. Some of us have been hurt so many times that, you know, every day we go out with padding, we go out with this mask because, you know what, it hurt too bad, and I'm going to put extra padding on, I'm going to insulate myself, I'm going to keep my distance from everybody else, I'm going to look for the zingers when they're coming, I'm going to try to bob and weave and avoid them because I don't want to feel that anymore. Hey, you're too close. I can't get close because my fear is I'm going to experience rejection. It's a self-preservation mode that we go into to protect ourselves and what we end up doing is we put ourselves on an island and we move, remove ourselves from even the best things in our lives because we're fearful of being rejected. 
We don't experience lasting relationships. We, we don't get into a life group. We, we don't have great relationship with our family or our spouses because of the sting of rejection is overwhelming. One last mask is the mask I call the Lone Ranger mask. And a lot of you don't know who, what that is, but the Lone Ranger was a TV show back in the day. It was a rogue cowboy who kind of became a sheriff who went around, solved crimes, and, and got the bad guys. And he typically rode along. Eventually in this show, he had a sidekick named Tonto. But for the most part, he did it all by himself. And the reality is, that's what a lot of us do. We do life all by ourselves. We've been hurt way too many times. We've been, we've been, we've been rejected. We've, we've had things said about us. We've had things done to us. We've been neglected in places where we go, you know what? My only real choice is to go it alone. And that's what we do. We don't ask for help. We don't share the good things that are going on in our lives. We don't talk about the hard things. But that leads to worse things like abandonment, insecurity, anxiety, fear, bitterness, eventually hopelessness. That's what this mask leads us to. And the truth about God is that he didn't create us to wear a mask, to put on a bunch of pads, to build a wall, to become anything other than who God created us to be. He didn't want us to chase down things that numb the pain or, or, or move us to bad places or take us to places for a temporary fix. He moved us to a place where he said, listen, I've made you, I've created you, I sent my son to come and die on a cross in your place for your sins so that you could know how much love and value and purpose you have to me. You see, God didn't make anybody by mistake. There is no junk. Everybody's made on purpose and with purpose. And the reality is we allowed rejection to keep us from the, the people that God created us to be. And so today I want to give you three just really quick points about how we overcome rejection. Because the reality is, you know what, it might be tomorrow, it might even be today that something happens and it leaves us in a bad place where this rejection cloud comes rolling in and we've got to figure out how we can deal with it. The first thing is this. Number one, it sets a tone for everything else, and it might be the most important point for you today. Here it is. Number one is this. Jesus understands. Jesus understands. He understands what you're going through. There were so many times, as you read through the Gospels, where Jesus was misunderstood, where many people, even in his hometown, didn't really get him or understand him. Even his own family at some point, while he was teaching one time in the temple, they tried to grab him and take him home because they thought he was crazy. They didn't understand him. In fact, it, it's, it's, what, it's where we got the words, a prophet is without honor in his hometown. Even his own family rejected him. And, and later on, toward the end of his ministry career, you find that he's at a table and he's breaking bread and they're having this last supper. And he then says, hey, the one that's dipping his hand in, in the bowl with me is the one that's going is is to betray me. And that's Judas. And then they leave that meal and they go out to this garden. And he's got three people. He's asked to pray for him. And, and he's waiting and, and anticipating what's going to come. And then these, these soldiers come from all over the place. Rome has come to enter his world. And they, they arrest him. And all of a sudden, the, the other 11 guys that he spent three and a half years with pouring his life into leave. They take off. They're afraid. They don't want what's going to happen to Jesus to happen to them. And they, and they, 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 they bolt. And then after Jesus is arrested, he's beaten within an inch of his life, and he's standing before this crowd and with Pilate, and Pilate says, who do you want me to free today, Jesus or Barabbas? Barabbas was a criminal. He was worthy of being in the spot that he was in. He was worthy of the punishment he was going to receive. But the reality is, on this day, they had this opportunity to give one criminal freedom. The crowd shouted, Barabbas. We want Barabbas. Can you imagine being Jesus for a second? Jesus loves the world. He's, he, he knows the brokenness in the world. As John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that, that He gave His one and only Son, that whosoever would believe in Him should not perish but have eternal life. God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. He came to rescue us. And He's standing on a stage with, with, a, with an official 
And then he says, well, what do you want us to do with Jesus? Crucify him. Crucify him. It got louder and louder and louder. The men that he, men and women he came to rescue and save were the very men and women who were saying, put him to death. Jesus understands rejection. In fact, it was predicted by the prophet Isaiah some 900 years before Jesus would ever come walking on the planet in flesh. It says this, Isaiah 53.3, it says, He was despised and rejected, underline that, by mankind. Not by a man, but by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and, and we held him in low esteem. Jesus was despised and rejected. He understands. I love what Hebrews 4.15 says. It says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet did not sin. See, Jesus experienced the pain of loneliness and betrayal and rejection. If you've ever wondered if Jesus understands, this passage is clear. Jesus is able to empathize and identify with and feel with you and for you and understand. Second point, If we're ever going to get over this idea of rejection, this may be your point today, okay? We have to get over our fear of man issues and put our trust in in God alone. We have to get over our fear of man issues. I don't know if you know what that means. Maybe you've never heard that term before. It's it's people-pleasing. It's approval-seeking. And what we typically do is we run around and we try to please other people. We try to do our best to help people know that, listen... I'm going to do my best to to perform and achieve for you, whether it's a relationship or a business relationship, whether it's whatever it is at school. We're going to work to perform to get a reward. And if we do, then that's great. And if we don't, then that's bad. We have this fear of man issue. And if our identity gets wrapped up in fear of man issues, here's what happens. One of two things happen. This is bad, all right? If you tell me I'm great all the time, here's what happens. I start believing it. I get puffed up with pride. If you tell me I'm bad, if my identity is wrapped up in what you think about me, then I'm going to be devastated. Horrible sermon today. Not good. Horrible joke. Whatever that is, all of a sudden I'm going to walk away and I'm going to feel like, you know what, maybe I'm not called to do this. Maybe I'm not all that good and I feel rejected because my identity is wrapped up in whether or not you like me and I cannot live my life being afraid of you. You can't live your life being afraid of other people. You can't. Your boss, people in your life, your father, your mother, whatever that is, your, whatever that is, you can't live fear of man issues. Here's what it says in Psalm 29, 25. Fear of men will prove to be a snare. Circle that word. But whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. Circle that word. It's a promise. It's a promise on two ends. You know, if you're, if you're going to chase this idea of, a, of, of trying to live for the approval of others and, and fear of man, I've got to do these things because, you know, I'm afraid that you might not like me or love me or care for me or talk to me anymore. It's a snare. The enemy uses it. It's a trap to wrestle you down and take the things that God wants wants you to have. But he who trusts in the Lord will be kept safe. Translation, will be secure and confident and assured and safe. Gateway, if we're ever going to get over the fear and the the pain of rejection, we have to lay down and eliminate and push back on this idea of being of this fear of man issues and approval seeking and people pleasing in our life. We have to let that go. Okay, you have to, all right? And here's something in your notes. We have to learn to live for an audience of one. One being God. Okay? Because here's what happens. When we try to, if I'm just trying to please all of you, it's impossible. Okay? I will work myself to the bone. I will neglect my family, my children, to do everything I can to make you feel good, to make you feel great. And here's the reality. I can't even do that. 
If I please you, I won't please you. If I please you, I won't please you. If we do this, we start doing this now, and you don't like... I mean, it's, it's impossible. It's impossible. But here's the deal. If, if I'll chase what God asked me to, to, to do and be, then you know what? I'm going to please Him. I may not please you, but here's the reality. If I just go to try to please other people, I'm going to disappoint you. I'm going to disappoint others. I'm going to disappoint God because God didn't make me that way. He didn't make you that way to run around trying to... To, trying to have this idea that, you know, I've got to perform, I've got to achieve, I've got to, you know, i got this fear of man things. God's saying, lay that down. That's not who you are. It's not who I created you to be. You don't need to be afraid uh, of, of trying to please other people anymore. Um, number three, Jesus wants us to give all of our rejection and our pain over to him because he cares for us. Those first two set up this last point. Jesus loves you. And he wants you and he wants me to give all of our rejection and all of our pain over to him. Why? Because he cares for you. He cares for me. The thing that's beautifully crazy about this is this. The person that we should be striving the most to, to perform for, to, to make sure that we, we, we have his acceptance is God. And here's the deal. As we, as we read the scriptures and as we begin to understand who God is, here's what he says. Hey, the pressure's off. It's off. You don't have to try to do all these things for me. You don't have to, that's religion, and I'm not after that. That's empty. The reality is God says, hey, just come to me as you are. I know everything about you. Yes, I know you. Yes, I'm pursuing you. And yes, I love you. And you don't have to change a thing right now. Just come to me. It's crazy, isn't it? Yet we run around for all these other people trying to figure out how do we please them. And God's going, hey, listen. Don't do that. Yet we should be kind of nervous, freaked out, maybe a little anxious about it, but we don't have to because God says, no, no, no. I know you. In fact, Romans 5.8 says that, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's who God is. Pressure's off. I love this. Matthew 11.28 says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Give you rest. You have to work toward my love. You don't have to perform for my acceptance. You don't have to, you don't have to worry about my rejection. I, you can be sealed in my love because of what Jesus, not because of what you're going to do or not do, or what you're going to say or not say, not because of what you're going to give or not give, not because of the life that you're going to have. God doesn't love some version of you like 20 years from now. He loves you as you are. Acceptance. Chosen. It's that bookmark that we give you every single week in this series. One more passage. 1 Peter 5, 7. It says, cast all, circle this word, anxiety. All your anxiety. We live in a world that's very, very anxious today. I don't know if you realize it or not. Lots of anxiety. Lots of anxiety in school. Lots of anxiety in work. Lots of anxiety in going in social settings. Lots of places where there's lots and lots and lots of anxiety. And God's saying, hey, listen, give me all your anxiety. Why? Because I care for you. I want to flood you with my peace. I want to give you my comfort. I want to give you my, my, my reassurance. I want you to stand on a firm foundation knowing that, you know what? I love you. I accept you. I've chosen you. Let that dictate who you are. We don't have to be ripped off by, by rejection anymore. We have to let someone's words or actions, things that they did or didn't do, neglect or abuse, whatever that is, rule our lives and impact our present and dictate our future any longer. Lloyd Ogilvie said this, it's in your notes. Securing God's love, I will not surrender my self-worth to the opinions and judgments of others. When I am rejected, I will not retaliate. When I am hurt, I will allow God's love to heal me. And knowing the pain of rejection, I will seek to love those who suffer from its anguish. Something beautiful about God. 
And we don't have to worry and fight. And we don't have to lay down who we are because of what other people say about us, what other people write about us, what other people blog about us, what other people say on social media about us, what our dad did or didn't do, what our mom did or didn't do, what our, what, whatever. We don't have to allow that to, dr- to rob us any longer who God made us to be. Okay, what Jesus understands. And if we're going to get through this idea and lay down rejection, we have to lay down this fear of man issue and seek to understand that, you know what, we can put all of our trust in who Jesus is and that we have a God who is a Savior and a healer that we just sang about that longs for us to give all of our rejection and all of our pain over to Him because He cares for us. Here's the deal. I'm finished. Quick sermon. Uh, You're going, that's the shortest sermon he's ever preached. You're right. I want to point to a couple things today, and I want to make this segue because I want you to understand it. Maybe you're brand new and you haven't seen kind of what's happened over the last couple weeks. We've had different people come up and share identity statements. And basically, uh, you'll kind of hear some of these in just a second where they share identity statements about who they are, about who God says that they are, about what God's done in their life, about what God's calling them to do. And in in your bulletin, Melissa's going to come up in just a few minutes as well. Melissa Barwell is going to come and teach us about how we craft our own identity statement. And let me just say this, if you're kind of wondering whether or not this is a value, my hope and our desire and even our our worship programming team have really tried to say, you know what, let's build a firm foundation for our people to stand on and be confident in. And and I want to encourage you to to really think about some of these things. And in your notes, again, there's a craft in your identity statement sheet that we're going to look at in just a second. But I I want to encourage you to engage and hear Melissa's heart. This started long before Melissa, Joey Butler, who's our uh, our founding pastor here began to walk this through with different people, kind of helping them understand who they are in Christ. Because here's the reality. If we don't know who we are in Christ, everything gets sideways. But when we know who we are in Christ, it allows us to stand our ground, be confident in who he is, who, he, who we are in him, and that his promises for us, he's going he's gonna to take care of all the promises that he gives us. And so the reality is Melissa's going to come in just a second. We're going to have those come and share some of their identity statements. Just listen in today. I think it will be really encouraging. And then Melissa's going to come. So uh, would you welcome those guys and Melissa, all right? <laughs> 